Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneer's Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. Hi, I'm Bob Toost, co-founder of Practical Governance. Hi, I'm Matt Potts. I'm the founder of Camarados. Welcome to the Feelings Mutual, a podcast series where Maff and I are joined by guests from all backgrounds to discuss the concept of mutual aid and the proposition that it lies at the very heart of systems change and social justice. Mutual aid means that we look out for each other, you support me and I support you. In the wake of COVID-19, thousands of new groups have been set up on these principles, but have we lost the mutual in mutual aid along the way? Uh, We're over the moon that everyone's talking about mutual aid, but unfortunately, some of it is bollocks. We hope this series will have open and honest discussions from all perspectives around the theme of mutual aid. Let's go for it. In this episode, we're joined by a couple of people that Math and I have been chatting to a lot recently about mutual aid. Yeah, it's really exciting to have Carly Attridge, who's the founder and director of The Loss Project, a social enterprise that aims to generate a community response to loss. We're almost encouraging people to be like, oh, I'm going to come and help you because you've got nothing to offer society. And uh, Ruth Jackson, uh, who describes herself as an independent worker. And um, Ruth's brilliant. She gets her hands dirty with all sorts of things, organisations and projects on the ground involved in social justice and social change. And they're just walking right over the top of really beautiful community action. So we're delighted to welcome uh, Carly and Ruth. Um, so for this first episode, Math, I'm going to chair the discussion, if that's cool with you, so you can take part. Good luck with chairing, Bob. <laughs> Good luck to me. Let's go. Hey, lovely to, to have you all here. Welcome, everyone. Um, can you do just introduce yourself quickly and a, a little bit about what springs to mind when you think about mutual aid? Um, Carly, do you want to go first? Sure. Hi, uh, I'm Carly. I'm the founder and director of The Lost Project. And what brings to mind uh, about mutual aid is... Um, Hooray, great. It's always been there and eek. I'm sure we'll get some time to explore that as we go through. Ruth, do you want to do you want to say hello? Yeah, yeah. Hello. Um, my name's Ruth Jackson. I've taken to sort of calling myself an independent worker. It's a really kind of mixed bag. Hard to describe, really, but I really love my job. Awesome. What springs to mind when you think about mutual aid? Oh, at the minute, if I'm honest, it's just massive frustration massive frustration I'm, I'm trying really hard to focus on all the fantastic and positive things that i've seen and that are going on but the 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 pain in the backside bits of it which is kind of dragging it down and and potentially you know putting a big dark cloud over something that could be so amazing i'm just finding a bit difficult and i'm struggling with math any thoughts on mutual aid in your mind at the moment well i, I think i'm i'm very like the other two, in a, in a sense, I'm a, a, a been a big fan for many many years. Slightly surreal seeing the words now used everywhere, um, which is you know exactly like Carly. I'm thinking, wow, great, everyone's getting on with this mutual aid thing, and then looking a little closer and going, ah, no, wait a minute, um, that's not yeah. maybe mutual aid. Um, I'm, I'm really actually wanting to talk today about kind of you know this has a history, um, and there's been a lot uh, of good stuff done in its name, um, and and. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's exciting and scary. You know, the thing I wanted to kind of share that's been on my mind a lot around mutual aid has been my experience really in the first week of this whole COVID-19 pandemic when I got uh, a little thing I downloaded from the Be More Pirate website, which was a 
a lovely little message I adapted locally um, and posted in the letterbox of the neighbours on my street that said something like, you know, hello, neighbours. I don't know what's going on, what to do about it. It's all a bit scary. Um, but, you know, I know that community is the antidote to fear and we can all help each other. Um, and then from the back of that, we set up a WhatsApp group. And uh, within a couple of days, uh, people were sharing practical help, borrowing things from each other, cheering each other up. And we're planning a massive party when we get out of this or when we can. Um, but I also signed up to, as many of you probably did, Facebook group, local COVID mutual aid group. Um, and I was assigned not too long later as a street rep. And I got to hand out a leaflet full of, you know, emergency numbers and wash your hand instructions. Um, and it all felt a bit weird, um, very different to that kind of WhatsAppy type stuff. And then all of a sudden on the Facebook groups, uh, I'm being asked, you know, whether my street is covered for needs, whether all the vulnerable people have been identified and somehow those comments on those pages slowly began starting to talk about um, uh, a small group of people and what they could do for others um, rather than a chat between people. Uh, I've kind of lost interest in it now. Um, you know, it was sort of impressive and well organized, but somehow completely disheartening. That's my story, <laughs> Math. That that sounded like it got a reaction. That, just, uh, I, I just wanted to back it up and say it's, it's not a, a, a solitary example. Um, literally within the last hour, um, I've just heard that um, a, a local councillor, the local council, have, have, is trying to collate a list of all WhatsApp groups in the area, and uh, some literally someone in the queue at the supermarket was behind the council and she turned around and said are you in a whatsapp group and she said yes and she said right you must tell the council where it is and who's involved and who the lead person is uh so that we know that we're all covered and the community enablement officer needs the details of your whatsapp group and she's like we've had this whatsapp group we've had it for years and it <laughs> and it, and um just about you know borrowing this that and the other from each other on on, on the estate the housing estate um, you know, why do we have to give it to you? Um, and, and then I've just heard a story yesterday uh, with some community organisers for a woman who was uh, organised a little WhatsApp group of about eight people in her local street and was told by a local community organiser she had to join the Hove Mutual Aid Group. And she said, I, but that doesn't really have any meaning for me because I don't associate myself particularly with Hove. I, my, these streets have meaning for me. Why do I have to do that? And it, it's just, yeah. No, I, I, I've got it. That's one of my big errors at the minute is, you know, the the uh, the, the local, a particular town voluntary development agency in conjunction with the local authority and the local authority have given them funding and they're formalising all of the mutual aid um, groups. And then they want to give them all uh, risk awareness training and they want them all to have the same names and the same kind of tasks and responsibilities and they're just walking right over the top of really beautiful community action they're just i i, I don't know I, I can i can only describe it as like a like a massive size 12 welly right on the top of this sort of delicate little flower that's emerging and I think, really, this is what we're going to do, is it? Yeah, and I think I concur with that. That was really where my eek came from in my introduction, that there seems to be a real divide happening where um, some local authorities are really pushing for this um, formalising and incorporating, and there are others who 
I'm either under the radar for whatever reason and aren't on the local authorities' um, kind of viewpoint at the moment um, or are, are resisting. And I think it would just be such a crying shame if um, it all goes down the service formalisation route. It loses the essence of people just being alongside each other. And who whose need does it serve for the local authority to have control? Um, and it feels weird. ugly. It just it feels ugly to me. It's like um, you know all the, the the gentleness of what was actually happening all of the very specific kind of processes that were knitting together and of people and neighbours and, you know, all of these things going on. And it's just effectively trampling it. And I think, you know, you immediately lose heart and you lose connection to it. And I think ultimately that'll mean that something that has the power to change society and to change as we go forward I think can be crushed so easily. I mean, it's interesting, like, you know, yes, absolutely agree around the crushing thing. But I think there's a lot of people probably listening to this maybe that are thinking, yeah, but, you know, we need to make sure we've got coverage of all these people and we need to meet their needs and we need to make sure that, you know, we are risk aware and we're not treating vulnerable people badly and all of those things. So, you know, what as a provocation, really, what's the problem with trying to formalise it? Well, um, so it's fascinating, Bob, and I'm really glad you said that because it comes from a good place, this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and the, uh, the local councillor that I know is extremely worried about uh, vulnerable people in the, in the community and uh, the people who are maybe slipping through the cracks, and, and I know where that comes from. But unfortunately, what happens, and it, it, what's fascinating to me is it doesn't seem to matter where you are on the political spectrum. At times like this, people, without thinking, blindly overstep the mark. And they um, forget that people have their own homes and their own lives, and maybe you want to get out of their face. Um, because it can be extraordinary. The, the impulse to help can suddenly, you're, you're telling social services about them. And that's what's happened locally in my area. And uh, either they were already linked in with social services, because we're not reinventing the welfare state and society. You know, we have had this before. People are known, a lot of vulnerable people are known already to services. But people can... I mean, feel we have to invent it, feel we have to push people in a certain direction, slightly overstep our powers, and we don't need to look very far with our central government about overstepping powers right now in this crisis. Um, but also, it's the classic case of a fellow on my street who, um, as you know, he's, he's a self-isolating fella, but he's he, all his life, and he said during the crisis, he's, he's never had so many people banging on his door, and he's fed up of it. Um, so, it, it comes from a well-meaning place, but, you know, it's... I think we've got to be careful that in the control can lead to some very bad power. Yeah. And I think we need to be looking really hard at the language we're using about that is, this is might be a slight sort of side point, but is reinforcing a version of the world that uh, it's like horrible. Like how many times do we have to call people vulnerable and needy? How many times do we have to reinforce this this kind of diminished version of, of a person because like if it's just, it just seems like madness to me why why can't we you know I, I th- math was it not you who shared a story about that there's a little boy who um i think it was maybe a social worker or something was doing a, a distance walk with him to check he was okay and um 
and he said he was she was checking he wasn't hungry and he said no he was absolutely fine because he could go to get to school to get food that that food was available there because he was on the valuable list and i don't i don't know whether the school were brilliant and they were actually they'd changed the name and and made it a valuable list or it was just his mishearing of vulnerable and he turned it into van valuable but god how much better would it be if we stop this you know dickensian philanthropic we're going to help the needy and let people do you know all the brilliant stuff that they can do we've got a, an, an older lady on our street and you know she's she's fully sort of shielded she she hasn't been out for i don't know how long now um but she ordered all the baby plants for everybody in the street so the lettuce that i'm growing in my back garden she did the bulk order for and then separated them all out for us and i know it's only a little thing but nobody's looking at her like she's needy it's like she's just one of our neighbors and she's lovely and she can do loads of stuff and i, I i'm really hating the vulnerable thing right now oh i'm sounding a bit cross <laughs> i do apologize no, this is a place you're allowed to be Sorry. cross you're allowed to be cross um, <laughs> I mean, Carly, any thoughts on the sort of valuable, vulnerable and the Victorian philanthropy neediness of it all? Well, funny enough, I kind of um, I wrote down labels and capitals and, and vulnerable and, and just it makes my skin crawl. Um, and I completely echo what the others have said that actually the more that and I as Matt says, I totally get it. The people in councils are under a heck of a lot of pressure they're you know well-meaning most of the time and they're just trying to do the best as everyone else is but at the same time we're perpetuating a deficit model where we're almost encouraging people to be like oh I'm going to come and help you because you've got nothing to offer society and you know I'm going to kind of treat you and I'm going to come and do this thing to you um and I think that yeah, whether they like it or not, and 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 that could potentially cause some serious problems in in the longer term. For for example, I had a, a story um, in an area where they've got a vibrant mutual aid group um, in London, um, quite hierarchical and, and organised. And um, someone was doing the shopping for um, one of their neighbours, and the list was junk food essentially. And the person who was doing the shopping decided that they were going to go and buy them healthy foods because that's what they needed. Wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's it's such a shame. And I just I just think that the the notion of formalising and going back to service structures is, is what that perpetuates. And I'm sure that person was also very well-meaning and with the best intentions, but I think that, the connotations from formalising things is is that's what the result is. Oh, Carly, can you imagine the disappointment? <laughs> you thought you were going to get donuts and you get a bag of carrots. <laughs> I just want to say that that's an example happened in, in, in my town as well. There's a, there's a fella who has COPD, doesn't have a very nice life. And he, he uh, listen, he has a bottle of whiskey almost every day or every other day. And uh, the volunteer... Uh, refused um, to get him a bottle of whiskey. So, you know, it's like, are we, whose who's life are we living here? And, and it's, it can seep in very easily. I do think that we're here to talk about mutual aid, and the word mutual is 
is is like mm. is, are people missing that are people missing that you know it, there's a history of mutual aid you know uh, I, I, I urge you actually to, to get back in touch with your knowledge of Kropotkin okay who's the fellow who kind of put this out into the world anyway and um, it was actually Cal who's a member of our movement who lives uh, nine stories up in a tower block in Newcastle and he's one of the wisest hermits his word not mine uh, that I know and he put me back in touch with the, with Kropotkin and you know what Kropotkin says is that um, and he said this in the early 1800s is that essentially um, uh, the state had modelled itself on imperial Rome and it had put a violent end I'm quoting now a violent end to all medieval institutions for mutual support but this new aspect of civilization could not last the state based upon loose aggregations of individuals and undertaking to be their only bond of union did not answer its purpose the mutual aid tendency finally broke down its iron rules. It reappeared, reasserted itself in an infinity of associations which now tend to embrace all aspects of life and take possession of all that is required by mankind for life and for reproducing the waste occasioned by life. And, you know, it's terribly hopeful. The truth is, I think we hammered it down again in the 20th century. Um, and this is slightly not politically because I massively believe in the welfare state, but it has occasioned the extinguishing of informal um, work and informal work which is very much what we stand for in Camarados is incredibly valuable yeah I mean what you think is also this concept of you know what people actually the word need is horrible but you know what gets broken down as you go through all of this is that you know people are reduced to a series of you know needs like medicine and healthy food and all of that rather than what we really need which you know as you kind of say in your movement math you know friends and purpose and i always come back to that principle that you talk about um which maybe you could share anything on but you know ask someone else to help you it gives um it gives them purpose rather than serve a need you know there's a mutuality in that there's an honesty in that and there's there's no power dynamic in it which changes things quite fundamentally from uh, in terms of actually helping everyone feel um yes powerful is all i want to say so i think that the thing that might be missed as well when we talk about mutuality is the really practical and pragmatic point about how much capacity is created through mutuality and mutual aid that you know when we wake up and recognize all of the the skills and abilities and assets and, and that, that, that are inside of us and all around us and we can use them together, then suddenly, you know, we, we, we can do so much. There is so much capacity created and we stop being so reliant on so-called overstretched services. We don't need to look to them for everything. We can look around us and inside ourselves and to our neighbours and friends. And I think, you know, missing that is is a tragedy and if we don't capture it now it'll be a sin you know it's a crime absolutely and it's not just opening up the uh, um ability to service traditional needs but you know our human needs which are pretty much pretty uh central to it all and seem to be forgotten in quite a lot of this stuff absolutely absolutely you know this whole thing about you know, feeling connected, about feeling a part of your of your life and your community, and and you know, community in the wider sense as well. Not just I don't you know, mutual aid. I don't think it's just about 
your physical neighbours. It's about all of the people that you're able to connect to and work with and and them support you and you support them. And it's it's that the stuff that makes our lives meaningful, makes them worth living. You know, it, it's all that kind of stuff. And that, bizarrely, that's a thing that you've, I've seen blossom in, in groups where people who were really disconnected previously are suddenly, you know, feeling better about themselves and the situation than they have for years. Yeah. That's what we need, is it, Matt? Friends and purpose. Well, amen, brother. Um, uh, absolutely. And, and that's the exciting thing, of course. Let's be positive, too, about what we hope might be the residue of, of what comes out of the times of COVID is that people might suddenly think, oh, um, my sister was just saying to me on the phone today, actually, she said, I've really enjoyed this being a part of my community. It's like she needed this to remind her and and that might remain. And I'd love that. Um, it, in Camarados, we believe that, you know, at, at the end of the day, the things that fill the days of our lives that are the happiest days are when we're with other people and when we have a sense of purpose. Um, and when we're in tough times and, you know, people on this call have dealt with people right at the very edge uh, of life in terms of tough times, the things that you think about and the things that you wish for and the thing that gets you through tough times are the people that matter to you and the thing that gives you purpose. And I believe that you get a hit of both, bam, when you look out for someone else. You get connection with them and you get a purpose because you're helping them out now. And, um, you know, I've banged on for many years that people right at the edge, literally not seeing a future for themselves. If you ask them to, to help you, the sense of purpose that they suddenly have the sense of feeling trusted, valued, um, and the fact that you've admitted to them that you're a bit shit and that they might actually be better than you at something. All of that creates this extraordinarily strong transformative effect on their life and your life. And that happens in mutual aid. It doesn't feel great receiving charity. Newsflash. It feels shit, right? Doesn't feel great. If you're the poor, if you're the poor person, right, you might have a rush of, oh, that's really kind of you, but there's a thought. And that thought says, wow, I must be really rubbish if I'm having to receive charity now. You know, are you telling me people are skipping along to food banks? You know, it doesn't feel great. Whereas mutual aid is dignified. Um, it makes you feel part of the solution. It, it doesn't rob you of your agency. You know, anyway, I'll stop talking. Sorry. Yeah, uh, <laughs> opens up capacity. I mean, I think we're with you. I mean, Carly, I mean, you mentioned before. You know, maybe we've lost the mutual in in mutual aid. Um, is that you know, you want to build anything from from what Math just talked about? Yeah, I think um, what. So, for example, recently I've been asked to deliver a workshop for around telephone befriending. Now that phrase together uh, makes me shudder slightly. Um, and I don't know if they if they're going to get what they think that I'm going to deliver, because I think what they want to do is um, the volunteers are calling people who are in need in their communities and they're going to do things to them. Um, whereas the session that I'm going to deliver is much more around um building that connection around true friendship around the mutuality and going back to that to returning to actually you need to go with an open mind and a curiosity and help each other um you'll all have things in common and find ways to be able to to support each other and I, I just don't buy into this 
deficit model of training lots of people to go and do things to the most needy and, and vulnerable in society. Um, actually, they're the ones that are going to teach us, like, you know, like the amazing Cal up in Newcastle, you know, um, his, his pearls of wisdom are, are amazing in this um, situation. Um, and in other befriending I say in inverted commas um projects that I'm involved in I think some of where they're going wrong is that they've lost the mutuality um and I think that that's really sad yeah I just completely agree I've just been in a very similar situation and it's like I was this week it's world mental health uh awareness week y'all and we looked at uh, five challenges and one of them's kind of was just to reach out to a friend maybe you hadn't spoken to and you, you suddenly realize actually there's people who just don't have anyone to reach out to you know that they they don't have any friends um and how how do you go about the process and then talking about this befriending service which just sounds so patronizing but i think we can we can have these conversations but we have to I feel like we have to be saying two things at the same time. At the same time as we're saying, okay, you know, what what could you do with? What what do you think would make things a bit better? We just simply ask the question, and what what do you think you could do that would help someone else, or that would support this situation? Or have you got any ideas? And I think if we ask those two questions at the same time. We've got that balance between, you know, what people need and, and what they're able to give. We've got a balance between that sort of emptiness and fullness. We've been talking a lot on this uh, podcast about a, you know, examples from local community mutual aid groups and talking about the philosophies around that. Um, and all of those things, you know, ring absolutely true to me and I'm sure to many that have been involved in lots of uh, such things but one of the things that really occurs to me as we start talking about this is that you know whenever I talk to people about lots of the things we've talked to about here they all sort of nod and say it's nice and they also kind of tend to agree because it seems like it makes sense but they never then take it to another level to say well isn't this not just the issue with you know local community activity and and, and um, local authorities working with communities isn't this basically the fundamental problem with the whole of society? Um, going back to the philosophy that you shared with us, Math, um, it feels like, you know, I'm doing a podcast um, based on a business that looks at governance. And for me, governance is full of the kind of uh, Victorian philanthropy and boards making decisions and none of the vulnerability and the mutuality which would actually transform those power dynamics. So I'm kind of taking it going, this stuff is not nice fluffy a good way yeah. to open up community stuff only this well, is about how I'd you really change like the world talk about that because in preparation for this podcast um yesterday i asked this call i was on which had hundreds of uh, community organizers across the uk and I, I said could you help me we're doing this podcast on mutual aid what does it mean to you and uh, one woman who'd been very quiet the whole call um suddenly said i want to talk about this because mutual aid isn't cuddly <laughs> and she said it's about people. She said it should be about people's rights. She said the mutual aid movement was about how, you know, how to change the world and how to make a difference to people on the things that really mattered to them. And it's become uh, rainbows and love hearts and hey, let's all step up um, for coronavirus 
kind of mutual aid, and and yeah, and and it's about shopping and it's about food. And okay, look, I, those things are important, and they can lead to important mutual connections. But I just worry about it being slightly misused. It's an important, really important thing about how we work together as neighborhoods and people, and 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 how we want the world to work. And the system does not want us to talk about that side of mutual aid. They quite like us to stay in in rainbow land because because then then they can get all very serious about their strategic plans. You know, it's not mutual aid is about rights. Yeah, Sorry. there you go. They got a bit serious there. <laughs> no, mutual aid is about rights. So we're waiting to add the thing. Uh, uh, Ruth, Carly, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I the Carl. The the uh, I was in a meeting this just a little bit earlier about housing project, and we're all sitting round from respective organisations talking about you know what these houses should look like and how many of one bedroom apartments and how many three bedroomed houses and and what the statistics and the on the waiting list uh, say say, and and I said, do do you think we could possibly just maybe try to talk to the people who are on those waiting lists. Could we, you know, actually get them together and can they be part of this, of this process? Um, and, and it was like, uh, I think that would be very difficult, was one of the responses. I don't think we'd be able to get hold of that data, was another one of the responses. And, it, you know, it, it's like just the gap between the, the reality of engaging with people and 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 people that their, their right to be involved and their ability to contribute and the distance that there is at the moment and I, I think Matthew right it's like it's in so many people's interest for those things to stay to distance from each other I think I might be talking a little bit yeah. gobbledygook but you know what I mean that 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 the chasm between just normal people who can be contributing and need to and know the answers and the people who are making the decisions is huge. And, and I wonder if I can just mention a little bit about your work, uh, Bob. Um, I, I think this relates to a lot of what you, you try and do with practical governance um, and what we talk a lot about um, in terms of, uh, of what happens when you try and include more voices and create more mutuality is it's messy as hell. And, and it's, mess, it's messy because there will be voices that you really don't like and there will be voices that are a little bit cranky, okay? You know, And what happens is, and we see it on WhatsApp groups now and Facebook groups, is the administrator or whatever sort of, you know, putting people, asking people to leave or, you know, you, we can't have that voice here and we don't want to hear that. You know, we've got to be careful about the way in which we, when we, when we formalize, we dehumanize. So, formalizing something and systemizing something seems to want to make it neat um, because neat some somewhere the, uh, there's a rule book that said neat is the best way i don't know where it is but you know dealing dealing with the chaos and the messiness of human personality and their input uh, is something you've got to figure out because you it, it's always going to be there and as soon as you try and expunge it you're going to create an inhuman system and, and, and so I, I think mutual aid groups now are really struggling with this on the front line in the UK because they're trying to systemize it at, at, at too high a level uh, and not street level. So they're trying to put people into big area groups. I heard a woman in Stockport yesterday 
she was told by her local council that her mutual aid group had to include the name of another area in the in the title of the group and she said but we don't work with people in that area and she said but you should be and and because uh, that's the municipal boundary um and it, it, it's this idea of you know i i really l- punched the air yesterday when a woman on the call from uh, west london said that her cvs group their main job at the moment is to uh, fight against the formalizing of groups She's trying to stop people formalizing all these wonderful and protect informal groups because that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make them neat, have a list, constitution them, you know, get a constitution. And, you know, <laughs> it's stopping wonderful things happen between human beings. Did you see Sam, uh, is it Conliffe, um, be more pirate, Sam, um, asking this morning about you know what what do we do to try and and make the the best of all of these fantastic messy precious informal groups um and and how how do we you know get to take this forward and i, I did ask you know is there a pirate model to to be able to protect to be able to just value how beautiful and small and awkward and and a bit uncomfortable and you know all of the oddness of of life is within them and how can we keep it going forward and it seems to be a fight doesn't it absolutely there's something really important in this kind of idea of of you know when where we hear the bad stories of say local authorities or even a a mutual aid group suddenly becoming a volunteer group run by a concentrated few um we see how our entire kind of traditional systems and structures and organizations and processes and formalization of everything has become so ingrained that when a organization like that tries to work with a community it just can't they just it's, it just seems to kind of batter whereas you know like you said Ruth that idea of the capacity that there is there if only we could let go of some of this and recognize that things happen through people talking to people um, in different ways in mutually supportive ways then what how could the world be so fundamentally different from a few people organizing and telling everybody else what's good for them Uh, that feels like so at the heart of it but you know so hard to do and math knows this from my point of view i constantly try to battle it i've spent so long working in those organizations that as much as i believe and talk about this everything seems to be stacked against me both but you know in in some ways it's lots of things that draw you back to not being able to practice this the horrible bit for me is it's it's like it's the weight of the system and it feels very empire it you know that that control and manage and it's so embedded into all of our institutions and and organizations it it, it, it's you know it's a hell of a fight but the the answer is in the capacity as soon as we you know you can see what we're capable of when we stand together in all our messiness so when we stand together but in different streets and in different ways it, it it's I, I think it just has such amazing potential but it's it's not easy it's it's not an easy model so I think there's something about for those of us who are in this similar way of thinking is to both support with as much kindness as possible, the local authorities and others to get out of the way and to let these mutual 
true mutual aid, I say in inverted commas, groups happen at a local messy level, but then also to support those who are within those um, hyper-local groups to be brave and have the courage to protect it and to hold on to it. And at the moment, that's where I see being able to to give the most value to groups that are struggling with um, authorities or others that are trying to um, incorporate them in some yeah, way. Well, I, I think the wonderful thing about um, people just doing it for themselves is, is you know, the state can do one because they don't have any take on it. They don't, they're not, they're not, they're not funding them. They, they, you know, that they have no powers. And that's what absolutely terrifies the state is that if people want to get together and talk, you know, who the hell are you to say they can't? And, and okay, I realize right now that's a bad choice of words because we're not allowed to get together and talk. But um, what I mean, <laughs> um, get, you know, get together and make stuff happen, whether that's a local WhatsApp group or whatever. What's incredibly exciting right now is the, is the potential for this kind of power being awoken and people are realizing, wow, I can actually do something that can affect my street. What a wonderful thing. And I, I'd, I'd, I'd love to talk more about that at some point with, with, with everyone here. But I think the, the mutual aid, which is what we're here to talk about, is, comes from this notion of bringing um, people onto the level. And I think a real problem we have is that the, the empire Ruth was talking about or the imperial Rome Kropotkin was talking about has been around for so long that we are now complicit with it and we are now conditioned by it. And I include all of us. There is a part of our brain which has a parent-child thing voice inside us. And that is how the world is run along those lines. So to reinvent it now as mutual is going to take more than just a kind of fluffy approach. It's going to have to take some hard conversations and people making a real effort to keep it mutual because things do not, in our experience, when we set up public living rooms, things do not just happen mutually, naturally. People walk in our public living room and the first thing they say is who's in charge. And the second thing they say is what are the rules? And, and we are conditioned. We're all screwed up. And we have to, you know, seek therapy from imperialist Rome and, and become more mutual. I like that. There's a nice phrase there. Seek therapy from mutual Rome. Uh, sorry, seek, <laughs> seek therapy from imperialist Rome. That's a nice sum up. It's the shift from I, isn't it? We, we, we live in an I culture. I did this. I did that. And we live in a commercialised culture, everything. And, it, and, you know, to try and take that, that sort of hair shirt off is it's going to take time and effort and it and it's every day in every way because as as you've said well, you know we've all been saying it's so embedded in every aspect of our culture but covid19 has shown us something different absolutely spot on guys i could i'm already have talked to you about mutual aid for hours before this and we've done another hour and i could <laughs> talk again for another hour so um uh, <laughs> uh, but thank you but i just wanted to say uh Thanks you all for taking time out um, to jump on this podcast and, and talk about mutual aid and how we hope it will change the world. Thanks, Bob. Oh, it's been lovely. Thanks, Bob. I'd really like to thank Carly and Ruth again for their insights and making that such an enjoyable conversation and, and for, to Matt, of course, for taking part. I was brilliant, wasn't I? Um, but, uh, the, <laughs> uh, we really hope everybody enjoyed the podcast and found something from it that you can take back and apply to your own work in life uh, we all need to make some changes if we're going to make mutual aid a norm not an anomaly 
Agreed. And if you fancy joining us on a future discussion, get in touch. Hello at practicalgov.co.uk. We'll be doing one of these every month.